just bow our heads just want to say he's here he's closer than we realize sometimes but if we could just invite him wherever we're at this evening you may be here in the church but he can come close he can be there wherever you may be streaming in he is also there let's just look to him Heavenly Father we want to say thank you this evening for the opportunity just to come before you. Lord, we want to say thank you that we can be called to serve you in this hour as Christians. Lord, we're grateful for this great calling. We're thankful, Lord, that you are the shepherd that watches over us. Lord, you're the one that still cares. You still have your eye upon your people. And Lord, tonight we ask that you would just come again. Come to the hearts as it was prayed already, Lord. Father, we just ask that you would minister. Feed your children, Lord. Grant it, we pray. We commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll start reading from verse 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So everybody is a part of the same program, but everybody's needed to, to fulfill the entire commission. We are, verse 9, for we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are... God's building, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless his word. You may have your seats.
The last two services we had spoke on the apostolic order, and um, I will address just a little bit more of that tonight along with just a question or two that was asked. And um, so I'm going to try and minister this tonight, but I'd like to share a few things before that. On Sunday, I will just try and step aside in, in terms of ministering or directing anything just so I can be neutral, and we'll have the other brothers minister. But I want to take a thought, and then we'll get into a few more things. Um, while you have your Bible open, I'll also just reference, sorry, I'm going to jump ahead, Sister Ruth, but just we, we finished on verse 11. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward." If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So I'm really going to focus just for a few, a little, little few moments here on, on the scripture in verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. So I want to speak for a little bit just on manifest character revealed in transition. Let me just take it this way. It was an unlikely group of 12 apostles. It was a group that was a mixed group. It was a collection of fishermen. It was tax collectors. It was zealots. It was, it was a diverse group that was there. And in, a, in the midst of it, there were those that were boisterous, those that were quick to speak, other that were quiet, others that were prayer warriors, but they were all called together around one person. And they all called, they were selected by him, they were called to serve with him while he was on earth and even as he left earth that he would go on from there. And they were given a commission. So these were the apostles. And, and, and they were, if you would take them from where they were at and where they were called from, God knew every one of them. And so did God know every one of us from our different orders, our different places. But we've been called around one. And that one is Jesus Christ. He is still the leader. He is still, it is His Spirit that is the galvanizing force amongst us. So as a leader... If you would look at this group and such an unlikely group of men, but as you would look at the leader, he was also unlikely to look at. He was not much outwardly. And if they would ask him and say, who is your leader? And they'd say, that's him. It would almost be with disdain that he would be looked at. Because the Bible would tell us there was no beauty in him to be desired. He would not be one that would, would select uh, would be selected naturally by looking at him. So in, in, in the Bible, or rather in, in the message, God will, Brother Branham would say this, and, and I'm going to just quote from the choosing of a bride. The Bible said in Isaiah 53, 2, when Jesus came, there was no beauty of him that we should desire him. Is that right? There's no beauty. 
We, if he would have come in the world beauty as Satan is today, the people would have run around and accepted him the way they do the church today. They would have believed him. They would have received him as they do Satan today. That's an amazing statement. If there was, if he would have come in worldly beauty. But he didn't come in worldly beauty. And that's one thing about the message. We want the message to remain pure. We want it to be the reflection of Christ. We don't want to dress it up. We don't want to polish it up. We want it to be God that shines through in the middle of it. Is that your desire? That's my desire. He says, certainly they would. But he didn't come in that kind of beauty. He always comes in the beauty of character. There. Christ wasn't a beautiful, great, strong, stout man. God doesn't choose that kind. Wow, that's amazing. Doesn't mean that you can't be great or stout or do whatever. But that can't be the predominant quality that overrides everything else. It was a character. Now, as I, as I just go on along a little further, let me, let me read this. Because Brother Branham, if you remember... He said, I haven't seen the Lord Jesus but one or two times in a vision. And he says, and he says this in a message in 1954, Witnesses. And he says, uh, I am saying this humbly with grace in my heart. In visions I've seen him twice. I hope to see him again before I die and two years apart. But he says this, there's no artist that could paint his picture. The character that looked like a man that when he would speak, the world would break in two. Just, just think about this. Friends, if you ever get in his presence, you realize how little you really are and how great he truly is. And he says, he, if he would speak, the world would break in two, and yet so humble when you look at him, you could cry to look at him. And he loves us. See, I don't think there's an artist that could catch that. And we love him. And his whole, his whole being is love. And when he was here on earth, he was a perfect, obedient servant. He was obedient even to death because of his love. He was the father of mankind. How could he do anything else but love them and die for them, being the father of mankind? So we see him, he says, and, and, and I'll just finish this because it's just the last little bit. He said, it's not me that does, does the work. It's my father that dwells in me. I'm nothing in myself. Verily I say, the son can do nothing but what he sees the father doing. I, I think that's a reflection of who we are. If we're, if we're a singer, if we're a musician, if we're a minister, whatever we're called, we are nothing in ourselves. It is Christ that is in us that is everything. And, 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 and if we think, and as we, sh we shared, we've got to master the thought of human ability. Oh, I got this. You know, I can handle this. No, you come to find out we need him more than we've ever needed him. I need him more. I, I trust you do. Friends, he is still the one that was there in Noah's ark. He was the, the glue, the sap that made that ark flow. He's still the one that was in Christ. He's still the one that's in his bride today. 
So I looked at this, just if you look at a definition of character, and it is the mental and moral qualities that distinguish and are distinct, rather, to an individual. So what does it mean to have character? And I, I, I just happened to come across this. They says, character is to have the ability to deal effectively with difficult, in, to deal effectively in difficult and implement, sorry, and I, I can't even remember, in difficult or dangerous situations. The difficulty. So it's not when everything's going good, but it's when everything's going bad. Let me, let me give you an example. It was when Brother Branham, and, 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 and you take how God molded his character over time. It was when he crossed the border. I don't know if it was a chocolate bar or peanuts or whatever it was. And he told the border guard, he says, ah, we, don't, we don't have nothing to clear. And they went down the road a couple of hours. And then Billy Paul pulled it out and he says, what's that? He says, These are, are things, we needed to declare that. Now he drove back. He didn't see a vision. There was no rule about this. But it was character that brought him to go back. That character, when God saw he was obedient in the little things, he gave him something more. It was character when he saw a couple in the front of the church. And, 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 he, and listen, God could have showed him, but he said, there's something waiting for you. What are you going to do about it? And he said, I forgive you. That was character that came through. When our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the, the prophet would say, when he went to Gethsemane, when he left Gethsemane, the Spirit left him. And he went to Calvary as a man. What was it that drove him there? It was character. It was what God had formed in him. And God is forming in us character. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. Now this is amazing to think. God comes down into human flesh. He wanted to know what it was like. He wanted to understand us. He wanted to feel for us. He came down to our level. And, and you could say, well, he was God, and he, but the humility, but still something had to be formed in him. Now listen, verse 5, so also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he said unto him, thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And as he said also in another priest, sorry, what did I give you, verse 5? Did I say that? Yeah, that's good, okay. Go, jump up to verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh... The days of his flesh. We're in the days of our flesh. He said, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that buy him. The obedience wasn't just, just so that he would go to the temple on time. The obedience wasn't just that, that he could fulfill what he was supposed to fulfill. But he also had to be, Brother John, as you and I were talking, he also had to be that high priest. He had to know what it was like. God had to form in him something that would, would be compassionate towards one another. It was character that God was looking for. 
Character, you ask, where is character? Is it, you know, where is it formed? Is it, is it formed in your soul? Well, no, in, in your soul, that's the Holy Ghost. That's the gift of God. That's not character. Character is a victory. In, 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 in the church age book, Brother Branham would say, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. He was actually made perfect by these things. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And he said, and being made perfect became the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. In plain language, the very character of Jesus was perfected by suffering. And according to Paul, he left a, his church a measure of suffering that they too, by their faith in God while suffering for him, would come to a place of perfection. Why did he do this? James 1, 2, count it joy when you fall into all diverse temptations. So that was character that was being molded in him. Jesus would become the, the intercessor. He would become the priesthood. His character, you know, they, they talk about it. I think it was in the Schofield Bible. They talk about the Gospels. You can, he says, they portray not just the works that Jesus did, but when you read them, you capture the character of, of, of Christ. J, you would read it from Matthew one way and from Mark another way and from Luke another way, but it brings his character out, he says. And now I, I just, and I got to just jump, move quickly because I want to get to something here. But he says, now think about these 12 that he called with him. He was that perfect one. He was going through things. But he calls them and he gets a group of disciples. They have got all kinds of things. One time they, they, they saw somebody who wasn't attending their church. And he said, shall we call fire down on them? Like, can you imagine Jesus having to work? But he picked them. And he says, so they don't attend our, he says, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. <laughs> and then he gets another group. He say, when you get to heaven, you know, I want to sit there and I want to sit there. He said, he says, the least in the, he said, that's not mine to give, first of all. But he had to, he had to deal with power struggles. Listen, Jesus picked them all, but they were humans. They were learning along the way as well. So are we learning along the way. There was different situations that happened, different things that came along. I want to just take this just based on what we read in, you know, every man's work shall abide or shall, shall abide as we read in Hebrews, the day will reveal it. I, I, I'm going to read this just from a message, God trained men. Brother Bram said, God cannot send a revival till he's got men in shape to take it. Let's, let's call it. Men and women. He says, we cannot have a revival. Men who are not afraid to face the fire. Men who have come into the presence of God and knows his power, know his omnipotence, and know his healing power. Men that are trained to know the living God. It's all right to train them by the word. The letter killeth, but the spirit gives life. So before we can have a revival, God has to call and train men. God trained men to carry this message. They don't care what the opposition is. They're willing to go into the fiery furnace or the lion's den. They're ready to go because they've been in the presence of God. 
And they said, whether it's victory or defeat, they will stand the same. That's the kind of training God does to men. It's very strange to think that God trains his men like that, but he does. Now listen to this. God leads his people through great trials to purge them. And sometimes it takes years to do it. And he says, as for myself tonight, I believe that right now God is training such men to meet the front line, men who are going to go through and at times shook from their feet. Sometimes it looks like the whole thing is falling, but yet in the midst of it, they know that living God and they keep their face forward. They keep moving on. Is there some of those here tonight? I believe we're a part of that army. I was reflecting on this a little bit. Years ago, some minister brothers and we come and there's a book that's been written. It's called A Tale of Three Kings. And I've read it several times and this is probably got the book about seven or eight years ago. And it talks about Saul, David, and Absalom. And it reveals their motives, their decisions, the things they did. And, and you know, as everybody reads that book, you know, nobody wants to type themselves with Saul. Surely nobody wants to type themselves with Absalom. But when you, and the, and the book Majors tells about how they were motivated and what they did, but it also reveals what David went through. And I reflected, David, as Brother Ram would say, was called, anointed, positionally placed as king when he was anointed. So he was anointed by Samuel. He was all of these things. But as he was a king, now look at the school that God put him through. The school that he went through. And, and here he was running from Saul. Part of his school was playing music for Saul, only to have Saul turn one day and a spear go flying by him. Yeah, that was part of the training. And part of the training was not to pick the spear up and throw it back. So what was being trained was David's character. What was, what was in Christ? Character. Friends, even David's very calling. You know, David was called, and, and it was Samuel who, God said, I've got somebody in mind down there. And, and Samuel, by the wisdom of a prophet said he looked at Jesse's oldest son, this is the guy, surely, this is the guy. And he said, no. Went down the line. And, and you know what? David could have said, I wasn't the prophet's choice. This is terrible. But you know what? He had something greater. He was God's choice. And the prophet was just a tool to bring him to that choice. And so finally, when, when he was anointed... Where did he come from? He knew it was God that had called him, that had directed him, that had led him. Friends, we need to see God in our own lives. We, we can't, it's not good enough to attach ourselves to a church, attach ourselves just to a man, but we need to see God. We need to know him personally, every one of us, young and old. We need to see him in our lives, friends. That's where our strength comes from. So this book is a, is a wonderful book, and I, I, I've got it. You, you, can, you can 
It's A Tale of Three Kings. You can download it on Amazon if you want. If you've got an e-reader, you can read it. It's, it, it. It was a blessing to me, and I just was reminded of in the last week or so. But it was, it was David's attribute revealed character in him. And I'm just going to pick a couple examples quickly. David was running from Saul. And along the way, as he was scouting in the hills and through the night, they came upon a cave where Saul was sleeping. And one of David's generals, Joab, said, God has delivered him into your hands. And David wouldn't do it. You know, there's some that just look at everything from a political way, but there's something deeper. Friends, in everything that we go through, it's a test. And, and all David did was he went and he cut off a little piece of Saul's garment. And you know, just doing that little bit, the Bible said his heart smote him. His heart smote him. If you ever, somebody comes and tells you something, or you, you want to share some news, and maybe it's not the best news to share, but have you ever felt that you've grieved God by saying too much? I felt it. I'm saying, there's some things that should never be repeated. They should just come down onto our knees in prayer. And I, and I say, that's the God we want in our heart. That's the God that's training us. i got to move along. 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18. Thank you for all participating and pulling. Little tiny amen. First Samuel 18. You can read this whole thing, but I want you to look what David was characterizing even while Saul was still the king. And this is a type of Jesus. Because Jesus, when he, when he was 12 years old and... His mother and father, had, had uh, Mary and Joseph had left him, and they finally came back and found him in the temple, and he, he just said, don't you know I must be about my father's business? It was almost like a rebuke. But he was, he wa he was not the father. He was not, he, Joseph was not his father. That, so it was true. But if you read the next verse, and then Jesus being 12 years old, he went with his Mary and Joseph and became subject to them. That was character. Friends, character. Yeah. You know, it, it starts, you can start when you're 12 years old. It can start when you're, it keeps manifesting. Let's go, 1 Samuel 18. Verse, so, verse 5. And David went whithersoever Saul sent him, and look at the, listen to these words, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Let's, I can't read all of this. Jump down to verse 14. <laughs> and David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Now that, that ought to give anybody, you know, be proud of it. But look at Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved, behaved himself very wisely, he became afraid of him. It, it tells that, that Saul had departed or there was something else going on there. Drop down to verse 30. I could read all of this, but I'm just trying to make a point here with a few things. 
when the princes of the Philistines went forth, it came to pass they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. What was God preparing him for? For a position. What's God preparing you and, 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 and I and every one of us for? The bride is going to sit in the throne with him and rule with him. What's he preparing? A character in us. If we're going to sit on the judgment seat with him, we, our judgment starts now. It doesn't start up there. But it's how we conduct ourselves in little things that come our way. That's where character begins to show forth. Okay, let's just go over to 2 Samuel 1. I'm just going to try and get a couple more scriptures in and then we'll be fine. This 2 Samuel 1, so I'm, I'm talking about manifest character revealed in transition. Now, I, I want you to look at something here. Saul was king. David was the coming king. There was some that had begun to recognize David was that king. They, they were watching God do something. Now, here is another man, and I'm just going to take this. You could read all of this, but just to give you, this is when Saul had died. David comes back from a battle, and, some, and, a, and a man comes, and it was an Amalekite, and he tells him that Saul and, and Jonathan are dead. And he said, how do you know this? Well, I, I saw them with the spear, etc., etc. et cetera. In verse 10, let's pick up verse 10. So I stood upon him and slew him because I was sure he would not live after he was fallen. And I took the crown on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and I brought him thither to my Lord. Now he never actually killed him. But he was trying to take the credit for it. And taking the credit for it, he was coming back to David thinking, David's going to give me something because of what I've done. He viewed this all naturally. He didn't recognize that this wasn't just about position. This was something greater. So David took a hold of his clothes, rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him. Verse 12, they mourned, they wept, they fasted. And because of such and such. Verse 13, and David calls this young man. He says, Where are, who are you? What are you doing? He says, I'm the stranger in Amalekite. He says, were you not afraid to stretch forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called him and he says, fall on him. In other words, fall on him with your sword first. And David said, let your blood be upon your head, for your mouth has testified against you, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. And David lamented with this lamentation. And see, these are some of the most beautiful words. David sings a song about Saul was mighty in battle. And Now, listen, this is the same David that was running from Saul. But look at how he sees something greater in it. And he says, don't publish it. Don't tell it to the Philistines. Don't do that. They were mighty in battle. Friends, no matter what we are, we're children of the king. But the enemy, hey, a man who just views it carnally, doesn't see it that way. And he says, verse 25, How are the mighty fallen in the midst of battle? O Jonathan, thou wast slain in high places. It's just amazing, this whole lineage of Scripture. Go to 2 Samuel. This is, this is David. Now, here, let me just say it this way. That order that was there, now, once that was lifted, it started to manifest things. 
So it started to manifest in a man who just looked at it a certain way. But it also manifests in David. And David, in verse 1, says, Shall I go up to the cities of Judah? He says, Where? Go to Hebron. And he went up. And I won't read all of this. In verse 4, And the men of Judah came, and they were anointed, David king, over the house of Judah. And they told him, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. So now he finds out, These men did something good for Saul. And David, now listen, this same David who just sang a song, who killed this guy who thought he was, this David now returns kindness to these men. He says, you have shown kindness to the Lord and unto Saul. And in verse 6, now the Lord shows kindness and truth unto you. And I will also requite you this kindness because you have done this thing. Wherefore, let your hands be strengthened, be ye valiant. Your master Saul is dead. The house of Judah have anointed me to be king over them. Listen, David is, is going down a path. He is, he is recognizing everything that went to him. He's recognizing where he's at. And he actually goes further. Because he finds out down the road that Saul has a son that's lame. And he thinks, what can I do that's good for him? Now that's, that's character that was being revealed. I, I, I won't go further with that. But character, what is it? It becomes a force. It's something in you that lives and moves. Friends, it's, I, I, don't not, I don't not go out and drink because I can't do it. No, I don't want to do it anymore. Furthermore, I don't want to blemish things. I don't want to take anything on, on, on God against him or against these things. Let's just take another king for a moment. First Kings. First Kings chapter 1. Oh, sorry, 1 Kings chapter 12, I'm sorry. This is after Solomon passes away. Let's just read verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Sheshem, for all of Israel came to Sheshem to make him king. So what happens after this, just to save time reading it, a bunch of the young men or the men came and they're, they're grievous about how Solomon had ended his, his reign. He says, your father put a heavy yoke on us, depart for three days. And, and now verse 6, and King Roabim consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon, his father. What do, you, what do you advise? And the old men, they tell him, well, just speak good words and do this and this. Verse 8, but he forsook the counsel of the old men. And he consulted with the young man that stood before him. Let's go further. Just drop down to verse 9. And then, and then he went to the young men and he said, what counsel do you have? And they said, make it tougher. Do this, do this, do this. And so Jeroboam comes in verse 13 and the king answered the people roughly and he forsook the old man's counsel which they gave him. In other words, he, he got his, his own rulers and, it, it, you know, it was, it, was, it, wasn't, it was without care or consideration. Now here's a king who, who didn't give any account, didn't give anything recognizing what was under him. Let's just go back to one more. First Kings chapter 1. First Kings chapter 1. I'm just picking a couple up and then I, I want to get to something here. Now King David was old and stricken in years and they covered him with clothes but he got no heat. Verse 5. So, so David's, it, it appeared David was weak and it was a vulnerability and there was something. And it was at that time that one of David's sons rose up and said this. Verse 5. Then Adonijah, 
the son of Haggith exalted himself, said, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not displeased him at any time, saying, Why hast thou done so? He was also a goodly man. His mother bare him after Absalom. And he conferred with... Now listen, so he, he says, I'm going to be king. I'm just going to go out and do it. And he conferred with Joab, the son of Zerai, and with Abathar, the priest. So he, 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 now he gets somebody who's going to be a priest with, with him. They followed Adonijah. But he, he bypasses Zadok, the priest, Benaniah, the son of such and such, he bypasses Nathan the prophet, and all the mighty men which were with David, he doesn't even consult them. And Adonijah slew fat sheep and oxen and fat cattle by the stone. And verse 10, but Nathan, sorry, let me just slow down for a sec. He slew them by the stone of Zoheleth, which is by Enrogel, and he called all his brethren, the king's son, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants, but Nathan the prophet and Benaiah and the mighty men and Solomon his brother, he called not. It was strictly a political move. Therefore Nathan said unto, spoke unto Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Hast thou not heard Adonijah's done this? Brother came here years ago and he ministered. It was such a blessing to me. And he said it was somebody trying to exalt themselves without the Son of Man ministry. Not, not going in the order that, that God has done. So at any rate, I, I, I just wanted to bring this out just, just for a bit. I want to read this here. Brother Branham would say this, and this is in the Church Age book. And, and, and we read this. He said, unless we suffer with him, we cannot reign with him. You have to suffer to reign. The reason for this is that character simply is never made without suffering. Character is a victory, not a gift. Now, listen to this next statement. A man without character can't reign. Because power, apart from character, is satanic. Oh, friends, don't, David's attitude, even when Saul was going to, sorry, even when, when um, Absalom was going to take the city, David didn't care about his position as much as he cared about Jerusalem. Why? Because he had character. And friends, that's what we should see, is character. Listen, he goes to say, a man without character can't reign because power, apart from character, is satanic, but power with character is fit to rule. Amen. Do you, do you believe that? Say, Lord, I, I'm going through struggles. I'm going through trials. But, Lord, you're doing it for a purpose. You've got something. Lord, we want to be there with you one day. We'll be kings and we'll be priests. We'll reign and rule with him. Under the opening of the seal, Revelations in 5, and he said, Thou hast made us kings and priests. Friends, that's where we're going to. That's, that's the part. And I, I just want to bring that because... What do we want to look at? When you looked at Jesus, what did you see? Did you see a, a, a brute force and, and a care? No, he didn't look like a likely leader. But as Brother Branham would declare, there was never a character like him. He's our example. Do you love him? Amen. Listen, I'm going to answer. I need to take this and just answer a few questions. I'm going to take a little bit. If you can put up that PowerPoint, Sister Ruth.
<clears throat> I want to just deal with this for a few moments. This will be kind of a follow-up to what we did on Sunday. So I want to just, just bring a couple of things. So this is just a follow-up. If, if I don't cover everything the same way, I'm not intending to. But. So this is not Brother Branham. This is just some thoughts. The rules of the church are to be determined by the church as a whole. So things such as bylaws and terms and procedures of elections of church officers must be determined by the church as a whole. Any changes to be made by the church as a whole through a vote, otherwise conditions exist that would open the door for a man or a group of men to control the church with a Nicolaitan spirit that came upon the church in the first age. Okay? So I'm going to take a couple of quotes. This is Brother Branham in Hebrews chapter 7. Now, by the way, while I'm speaking, somebody around this country somewhere is guilty of writing some cards to move Brother Neville out of this pulpit. You're going to have to settle that with me. Uh-huh, that's right, yes. He says, it's, I want you, it said the de the, something about the deacon board. The deacon board has not one thing to do with the pastor. No, sir. The congregation in full has the, all the authority. A deacon board's just a policeman here in this church to keep order and so forth. So this is the first part, and he reads the second part. Now, when it comes to rules, the whole church has to say so. This church is built on the sovereignty of the local church. Therefore, I have nothing to say in moving this pastor or putting one in. I own the property. It's given to the church. The only thing I do is own the property given over to the church. He says, you are all the church. You people are the one in control. You're the church yourself. Do you believe that? You're a part of it. You're Christ in you is the church. We come together. When we come together in one spirit, there's, a, there's something greater that's there. That church, the holy church of God, is the sovereignty or the Holy Spirit in the church. It's give over to the church. It's tax-free. The church elects their own pastors. I have nothing to do it. And he says, and the only way this pastor could ever leave would be if a pastor decide himself to go to or the majority of the votes of the church would have to say to change the pastor. That's the only way. No deacon board. The deacon board only keeps the order. Okay, I'm, I'm going quickly, but it's on the screen so that you can pick up the things you want. That should be the motive of every Christian and every person in the church is for to unify ourselves and stick together. Whatever the church votes for, that's what we stand for. Then say, for instance, they want to change something in the church. If the trustees or the deacons, they want to change something. That comes before the church, the church then together. And if our idea seems to be a little different than what the whole church does, let's sacrifice that idea because that's the only way we can stand united. There was things that David did that were for the good of the nation of Israel and not for himself. And that's the way we are. Now, I'm just using this according to the bylaws because over the last... Um, number of years, we together, they, and I'm saying we together, I'd say Brother Harold, myself, the deacons, the trustees, we've updated our bylaws, we've done some things that we all worked together from where we were at. So part of that is because that becomes the order that we work by. 
So he's talking now about placing the deacons. Our little church here is sovereign. It doesn't have any denomination or anything to send its deacons. It elects its own deacons. It elects its pastor. It elects its trustees. It elects everything that comes in and out of the church. No one person has a say so over anything. It's the church. The church are those who come and support the church with their presence, tithe, and offerings. They're always the ones that has the legal say-so in the placing of such. And the church said, amen. My, it's quiet. It's just once in a while, just let me know you're there, okay? <laughs> I want to, th- are you glad that we have the message to lean on? Where would we be? Somebody says, no, that's what he said. No, it's actually here. It's written down. It's, it's what he left us. I want to thank the past board of deacons. I want to say it for all the church. And he talks about Brother Cox, Brother Fleeman, Brother Higgins. They gave us a good service. And every so often, now, Brother Bram's referring to the bylaws of Branham Tabernacle here, okay? So he says, every so often, according to the bylaws of the church, so every so often, that might be a year, might be two years, in Branham Tabernacle, it was every year. The deacons or trustees automatically fill their time. Okay, and if they want to come back, all right. And he says, if they do not want to come back, they can place someone, some in their places that this board has resigned. Okay, so if, let's say a brother would, would want to say, I don't want to continue at this time anymore, then, then somebody gets appointed. I'll, I'll come through this in a minute. But that's done on, on a term, but if they want to continue, and I'll just go a little further with it. So, election term limits. This, this first quote is regarding to church officers that want to continue. So, in Branham Tabernacle, it was every year. So, he says, a few moments ago, they nominated a new trustee. Now, at the end of the fiscal year, in the 1st of January, that all the officers of the church, such as pastors and deacons and so forth, expires. Now, listen, now he says it, and they want to continue on. Then he says, not pastors, I didn't mean that. I meant trustees and deacons and Sunday school teachers and so forth. The pastor is elected by the church and he stays until, until. Okay, now, this is one quote, but he also has other quotes. I'm I'm not going on a limb here. Just hang on, okay? And then he says, and then they, if the people, the present board of trustees or deacons or Sunday school teachers or what more, if they want to continue on, they just continue on. And if they don't, they have to resign if they don't want to continue on. And there is nothing against them. them. Then they continue on for the next year. So it's not just you're elected for life. No, you have to fulfill a place of duty. You have to do certain things. And then they continue on the next year. And if they do not continue on, then they have an election and appoint some other trustee or whatever the office was. Therefore, if it doesn't pin a man down to his lifetime to serve on a board, as long as he feels that God is with him and helping him and he wants to do his part or her part, whatever it might be, to continue with the work of God, we're always happy to have them serve with us. See, Good? Good. Okay. That way it gives a a person a chance to serve for a year and see how they like it. Some of our trustees stay on for years and years, and deacons also, and that's perfectly fine. There's no set time. 
And if the trustee or the pastor or someone on the board feel that they can't serve any longer or moving out, they just notify the church and then they can get somebody in their place. And he, he talks about a brother that resigned and how they appointed another trustee that was received. It's official as long as the church, in our church, it's the sovereignty of the church. The church moves or puts in a trustee. The church moves the pastor or puts in a pastor. It's in the church all. That's apostolic. That's the way they did it in the Bible time. Therefore, we feel no one person is a dictator or something in the church. We don't want that. We don't want that. We want the Holy Spirit. Every man, every person, myself, in voting in anyone has just got one vote. Just like any other person. It isn't what I say, it's what the church says. It's what the church says in the body. Do you like that? Oh, I think that's just scriptural. That's the way it should be. So I'm just making a couple of points. So in this quote, Brother Branham was saying here, the pastor is never voted on after he's installed into the office. Well, that would contradict other quotes that he talks about voting for a pastor. So quotes don't contradict each other. They don't put one another out, okay? So there's a balance in everything. This quote does establish that there is a difference between a pastor's office and other church offices. So what's the difference? Is it, is it there's elections for one set, not the other? Because in later quotes, he continues to speak on elections for the pastor. And he does it actually further down in the same thing. So the main difference, as I can see it, is it's the type of office. A pastor and other ministers is a calling that's without repentance, a calling that he's born with. The other offices, deacon, trustee, Sunday school teacher, are not quite the same level of calling. A deacon or trustee only has to be qualified to hold their office, whereas a pastor must not only be qualified, but called. Okay? Therefore, a man with a calling as a pastor has a lifetime calling, but he can only minister that calling from the office of pastor as long as he is also qualified. So you can't flip it the other way. You say, well, I'm, I've got a calling and that overrides everything. No, the two work together. So in other words, if he's born with that calling, and you might be born, but until you're, you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you can never be that. Until you're married, you can never be that nor can he operate in the office of pastor. Similarly, if he becomes divorced, he cannot operate in the office of a pastor. Similarly, so if he is divorced, he can no longer be qualified for that office, though his calling remains. Thus to say a pastor's office has expired would be as a saying his calling has expired. That's not what Brother Branham was saying. The deacon's or trustee's office expires every year. But there's also a, a vote, so I'm going to come to this. At first, it would seem that the quote that the deacons, trustees, I'm putting this down in, in words this way, it would seem that the deacons and trustees, they, ch they choose to continue on, and they can simply do it by their choice, but looking at the quote carefully, Brother Bram says, and there is nothing against them, okay, against them, right? How can that be known, okay, how can that opportunity be known or given uh, if, if the church members don't have a way to express their feelings, so there would have to be, at some point, a vote, whatever that's, that's come to. I'm, I, I'm just bringing the principles Brother Branham had, and we're not relating it to all the other officers right now. We're just setting a principle. 
It certainly seems that the vote of the church would be necessary to establish there was nothing against them. So let me, let me take a few other things. One other thing that this quote establishes, there's no term limits for deacons. They can continue on if they wish to. And they're, they're automatically put on the ballot. They don't have to be renominated. Okay, Though the church can vote to determine if there's anything against them that would prevent them from serving in their office. If re-elected, they do not go through a trial period as a newly elected deacon must. They would just continue to serve after the church has reapproved them. So in a quote we took on, on Sunday, Brother Ben would say, they can try it and see how they like it, so they're appointed, and after a while then they're, they're elected because the church votes on them. So there's a period of time where they're appointed. Now this is for the, the deacon, the trustee offices, okay? The last part of this is, speaks of voting for a pastor, both to put them in, to move them out. It is in the context of the sovereignty of the church. The church must decide as a whole, through a vote, if there's a reason to move a pastor. We went through some of that on Sunday. If the pastor and deacon board alone can do it, determine it. Sorry, let me go slow. Determine what is brought before the church, then the church is not truly sovereign, but is under a dictatorship. As Brother Branham clearly states in other quotes, what does it mean to move a pastor or another office? Under what circumstances and what grounds? The next quote gives two areas. I'm just going to go through these. Continuation of the term. I'd suggest Brother Neville to be the pastor of the church as long as the church suggests him being pastor. That's the vote of the church. So he had an opinion like anybody else would. As long as he holds the post of duty and stays with the faith and wants to come and follow the leading of the Lord, he said, then the leading of the Lord for him to stay if the congregation votes for the same. Okay, so here, just making points. So as long as indicates it's something ongoing. Okay, now he's talking about the pastoral office. Okay, so it's, it, there has to be an opportunity for the church church to say that, okay? It doesn't mean that it's necessarily an annual event, but it's something that's taking place on a periodic basis, and it's definitely done by a vote, okay? If you need any of these quotations after, I'll give them to you. It's clearly not talking about a vote that would be taken if there was some actions or qualifications of the pastor on moral grounds. Then the church would, church would either, it's a different vote, would either be talking about removing him or allowing him to kinder, continue on. But this is talking about a pastor feeling the Lord's leading to continue to minister in his office and the church indicating they're feeling the same leading from the Lord through a vote. Okay, I'm, I'm, I trust that's, I'm moving forward. I'm trying to establish a bit of a principle. It's also speaking here, and I don't want to miss, I'm trying to bring this as open as I can, of a pastor that's been in office for a period of time already. Brother Neville had been a pastor for at least nine years. This was not the initial election to put him in as a pastor. So it's as long as, as long as he holds the post of duty and stays with the faith, I took some of that Sunday night, you could determine whether he's doing that and staying with the faith when you're first voting him in. Okay, so that can only be done as long as he has an established track record, shows that he's been serving in the office, the leading of the Lord for him to stay, 
And again, if he's now just being voted in, how could he stay in the office, okay? So this quote is speaking of a pastor that's been in the office already. All good? Okay. Now, I, I didn't find one where they had a vote on Brother, ne Brother Neville or anything, but I'm just going to take this. In the event of an issue, correct scriptural principles must be followed, culminating in a vote if necessary. Who should be your teachers? You can vote your own teachers in. He's talking about that, you know, and then he goes this. When the time comes as under God, if I feel Orman Neville can no more qualify to be the pastor here, I'm going to mention it to the church. That, that's good. And he says, when I see one thing here, think that you deacons can't qualify to be deacons, I'm going to mention it to the church. That's a true servant of God. Okay? And then he says, and if I find there's a certain deacon out here doing something, he doesn't keep his post of duty, and so forth. Now, I can't vote it in or out. The church has to do that. But I'm certainly going to present it before the church because that's what I should do. That's what I'm supposed to be. As overseer, I'm supposed to look and see what's going on. If there's, and this is not a quote. This is just me. Okay, just think. If there's an issue about a pastor or any other office remaining in the office, ultimately the only way it can be scripturally resolved is for the church to make a sovereign decision by way of a vote. If there are accusations of misconduct, it must be brought to the church. As outlined in the Word, Matthew 18, 15 to 18, we took that Sunday. If you have an ought, bring it to one, then take two or three, then you take it before the church. So there's an order, there's a procedure in all of that. And if they forgive him, so let's say it goes all the way there. If they forgive him, then they can vote for him to stay or go. Now, these are just my comments. If there's a lack of confidence in the way the office is being held, then you, the best way to resolve it and lay it to rest is for the matter to be brought before the church and to vote on it. Okay, so that's if, if there's something and there's an accusation and it comes that way, then let's bring it God's principle. So that there's accountability here, but there also has to be accountability in, in, in the laity, in all of us. So if, if someone is stirring up trouble and spreading rumors about a pastor or a deacon, okay, that would never happen in a church, right? It does. We're, we're, so if that happens, now you're saying, well, are you saying no? That can happen up top. That can happen in the janitorial office. Sorry. I should, that didn't, Sister Liz isn't here. Good. I didn't mean that. <laughs> it, it can happen anywhere in between. If, and, and you can do it. He said, the church needs to know where they stand. Where is the authority? It's in the church. It's the Holy Ghost in the church. They need to lay to rest any ideas that a troublemaker might have of trying to split a church or oust one of its officers. There has to be a grounds for this all to work on. Does that sound fair? Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm saying it because this is the way the Christian church was built. And that's the way it was done. Paul would have to deal with issues in the church. Some of them would be marital issues and of, of, of all kinds. It would be all kinds of things. But Paul did it, and, and the church went together with it, and God worked through that. It, it happened. Brother Branham would even deal with it. Um, you know, he, he, he talked about a, a brother who had a, uh, a son that was in the church and was wayward, wasn't behaving right, wasn't doing the right thing, and, and he wouldn't take correction. 
and, and I think it was a brother Rasmussen or something, and, and he said, well, we're going to give him space, we're going to give him 30 days, and, and he would, would do such and so, so much. Now, Brother Branham talked about that man, he said, that man was a real pastor. Why? Because he didn't pull no punches. He did it, he did it just that way. And friends, I, you may say, well, Brother Ed, are you in that position? Well, I'm, I'm going to say it this way, is in, in and I, I'm just going to say it, honestly here. I have a son. Okay, it's been a huge burden for me. But I also see that God is dealing with him and moving with him. And, and I, I'm, I'm the one who's been put into position here and all of a sudden it's like I've been asked questions many times. I've been asked questions. What about your son? You know, sometimes it's viewed as like he's a, a collateral, you know, like a, a commodity. But what about asking, how is he doing? What about asking is, where is he with God? Listen, I will also not sacrifice one person for a position. Because I wouldn't do it to your son or your daughter. And, and no position is higher than, than just the, the assessment. You know, you, you look at the world today. You know, a leader comes up. They pull something out of their past. And they try to drag it through the mud. That's not the Christian way. The Christian way is on a higher order. And I'll say this. I, there's a personal part to all of this that I'm under, I'm under scrutiny, but there's also the church. And I'll stand for the church. And I'll fight for the church. I've got a lot of things leveled at me. And I'll say, I haven't gone out and railed against anybody. And I said, I'd rather, if it's against me, that's one thing. But if it comes against the church, that's another thing. Paul said, I'm zealous over you like Eve was. And that's the way we all need to be. And we need to be Christians and recognize how God is working with us. Is that right? Submit yourself one to another in the fear of God. Congregation, submit yourself to your pastor. Pastor, submit yourself to your congregation. If a little click rises up, don't be on either side. Submit yourself to the congregation, to the, to the whole congregation. Remember we read in Brother Branham would talk about the ox anointing. He said he doesn't take sides, stands between the people, brings, tries to bring the sides together. Congregation, if you start in a clique, submit yourself to your pastor in the fear of God. Election process. Now, this is for general offices. No, I'm, I'm, I got just a little bit more and we're done. So you're selected or nominated. So let's say a deacon or a trustee. You're selected or nominated by the board and the pastor, presented to the church. So over the years, we had different deacons. Brother Harold um, would say, I feel like Brother so-and-so has a calling, and he would approach him, how do you feel about it? He said, well, let me pray about it. He comes, I'd like to try it. So he'd bring that brother forward and say, we're going to try this brother. In the last few years, Brother Harold actually, we were talking about a trustee, at one point, and he says, and he actually asked the trustee board, he said, who do you think? And they'd say, oh, brother so-and-so. Well, can we approach him? And that's what we did. So it was, it was a collaborative effort. So that's why I put in. It was selected or nominated by the board and the pastor, presented to the church. In the end, it's the church that has the authority. The church votes to appoint them to a trial period. At the end of a trial period, the church must be approved, approve them before they are placed in office. 
So it, that's where there's an appointed time and then there's an elected time. So there's an appointed time. This is kind of off subject, but I'll, I'll just say, share this anyway. I was in Brother Dioka's church in Congo and, 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 and I just marveled how he did this. The service was over after and there was about, I don't know, seven or eight couples that were there. And, and then he would present the couples. This couple, he would say, um, just let it be known to the church that, that they are seeing each other. I don't know what words he used. It was all in French. But he did that to protect the church. You have a church of 10,000 people, 12,000 I think, or whatever, is 15 now. Why? He was trying to avoid conflict in the church. He was telling them, just so you all know, and then he also said, to be in prayer for them. I thought that was really good. I thought he was bringing something together. He wasn't trying to do it, but he was doing it for the protection of the church. Okay? Okay. Placing of deacons. So now, we, we wish to place this church as a general overseer. Now, I'm just taking two points here. If it has bound, been found favorable with the board and the pastor and the overseer to select in this group of people, here some men who we think to be honorable and just men, we can only bring them. Okay, so he says, we do it. You have confidence in us as an elected board and, and, and a pastor. We can only bring them. Listen what he says. And it's then they are appointed by the church by their own vote. So the two work together. And he says, and if these men shall serve, they feel they'll accept this office. Then they'll come for a short time to see if they feel that maybe that God has called them. And later, if they feel they're disqualified, they can have a right in the next few weeks to resign the office. Somebody else can be appointed in their place. So I'm, I'm trying to bring a pattern. So I'm going to take this as a pattern for the pastoral vote. So um, here, let me, let me say it this way. We had a meeting with the, the deacons and the trustees and we talked about this, so this isn't just Ed Hammermeister on his own. This is the brothers all together, and we're presenting it to the church. Somebody asked a question, say, Brother Ed, um, should there not be more than one name standing on the ballot for pastor? And I say, and, and we all, we were in this meeting, he said, well, at this time, no. Doesn't mean that in the future there isn't. And I'm going to say it this way, because it goes back to a pattern. And it was... For a number of years, we've been going down a certain pattern, and it's not just one person, but it's the church. It is establishing a pattern of stability. It's a pattern of training. It's a pattern of, of bringing us to a point. And, and I would say it this way. We could have all the married men stand as, as pastors. We could be here. And I said, that sounds like a really good idea. But we're also men. We also work together. We're also a team. And so, do you want to just pick one over another and just do this? W would that be healthy for the team in the long run? Would that bring more unity? Well, that's not fair. Well, it can be fair. If, if, you, if you don't want Brother Ed, you just have to say no. And then we all go to prayer, and we say, Lord, maybe you have somebody else. Now, I got two scriptures, and I don't have time to get to them, but one is in Acts chapter 6. And in Acts chapter 6, there was all the apostles... And all the apostles, they, they wanted to, um, there was a problem. The Greeks were coming to the Hebrews, and they were saying that the, 
the widows were being left in their daily ministration. And the apostles said, it's not reason for us to leave our, the word and, and, and all of what we're doing and, 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 and to do it. So they said to the, the other disciples that were there, you go and you pick out seven men that are, are qualified. And when they brought them to the apostles, the apostles laid hand on them. That was the beginning of the ordination of deacons. So it was an issue. And it was brought that way and that's how they were ordained. You go over to now a little further, and this is when you go into, I think it's Acts chapter 12, you can read it, and it was Paul and Barnabas, they were, they were all waiting on the Lord, and the Holy Spirit, it says they were, they were praying, they were fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I have called them. Now there were other ministers there, but the Lord, the Lord had led that to that position. So it's a pattern, it brings it to a pattern. It's like I said the other day. Here's a pattern. One, three, five. What's next? And what would be next? And you're all quiet because I trapped you last time. Well, it could be nine, which is an odd number pattern. It could be 11, which is a prime number pattern. And if it's 11, what would be next? 13, because that's a prime number too. So God has a pattern, and I would say, if we believe God has been in our church, he's, he's brought us to a place, to a pattern, and if God wants to change the pattern, is he going to suddenly turn, or is he going to keep doing something? And I'm not trying to promote myself. I'm saying this because it's not just Brother Ed. If, it's, if, uh, if, if I would, and I'm not going to go into trying to toot my own horn about something, because I've had opportunities along the way to do other things. But I said, I've stayed here because I believe this was my place. I believe it was my place to support Brother Harold. I believe it was my place to be something to this church. And I believe that that's not over. So I'm putting that forward. And if you don't feel that way, you have every right to say no. Okay? And then I'll, I will say, okay, then we'll give it a space of time and God can put somebody else forward. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little further here with this. So, Ed Hammermeister is presented to the church based on previous role as associate pastor. Church votes on whether to appoint him. Now, I don't have to do this, but I'm suggesting this would be healthy for the church. I'll step into the position for one year. And the church has every right to look and see how it's operating. And after one year, then they can say, no, this isn't working. And Ed Hammermeister, and God has somebody else. If approved, he'll serve for one year, and at the end, there'll be a vote whether they want to confirm a continuation of the position. I'm saying that's healthy for the church because I feel that brings stability to the church, not just for me. I got other things I, I could, could do or serve God in different ways, but I'm saying that that's for the body. And I've, I've been interested in the body all along. If not approved, he'll continue in an acting position until other names can be put forth and a vote held. That's trying to be as neutral as I can. Because you can say, well, I want so-and-so, and, and you can do that, and I, I just will say this way, I've been privy to a few situations over the years where there's been nothing but chaos in how it's been handled. Where people are switching allegiances to churches to vote in the guy they want, and ministers are flipping positions. You say, that happens in the message, it does. I'm not interested in chaos. I am interested in God leading us, and if God wants to raise up one of our other brothers, hey, I may only be here for a few years, and maybe by then another brother steps in. That will be God's choice. That won't be Brother Ed's choice. 
but I'm interested in stability moving forward. And so this is my suggestion. I don't have an actual quote for this. Other churches may have different situations. There, it, it may have been just like it was for Brother Ojar's church when he suddenly passed away and they had no idea what they're going to do. Well, Brother Green stepped in and he, and he did it and it took a period of time and it wasn't that comfortable for everybody. I'm just, I'll just say, leave it at that. But, but over time, God stabilized it. God allowed it to be and God showed that it was God's pattern. So do we know what that is? No, we don't know what it is. I don't know what it is either. I'm only submitting myself to God as you would submit yourself to God. So, moving forward, just a couple last quotes and we're done. This building an established pattern, continuity in a Christian spirit. How the Christian should be established in a faith that was once delivered to the saints, not tossed about place to place and joining different churches. So Brother Branham said... Any church you want to belong to is all right as long as you're a Christian, but first put on the first thing that's the birth that makes you kinfolks to God and, and God becomes kinfolk to you. Perfect faith. Your life proves what you are. The same thing Christianity does. Your faith, you have confidence in one another. It's pure it's something real that you can't show it to somebody else. You got it, and your actions prove it. And when you got pure, unadulterated faith, your love is your companion. You prove it by the way you act. You ain't complaining no more. You know it's done. You walk along. No matter what the thing looks like, what anybody else says, you know what's happened. You know it's finished. Just as well as you know you love your husband, as well as you know you love, I think it'd be your wife, Love and faith has to go together. Their kinfolks, their love, love produces faith. So what are we doing? We're talking about a relationship where whatever the man's part, the woman's part, and I'm just using that as a natural, there's a commitment to God. In a church, whatever the overseer's part is, whatever the church is, we're both committed to God. I use this as we close, we, the other day, and I'll use it in closing. Musicians can come. Can two walk together except they be agreed? So that doesn't mean you agree. You, you don't, you, you don't, I said the negative part of this is I don't agree, therefore I can't walk together. Well, okay, let's go a little further. The other is can do two walk together unless they have agreed? So there's a basis of saying we're agreeing to walk together for this period of time. Do two walk together unless they've agreed to meet? So we're agreeing to meet, okay? We're going to walk together for this time. We're going to look at it. And then he says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? So what is the direction? We want to move forward. We want to have continuity. We want to keep going in the pattern. And the church has free reign to vote on it whatever way it is. So does that sound fine? Let's stand together. I didn't, if there's any other questions that come in, I'll try and answer them. That was the only ones I've got, and I tried to answer them as best as I could. Okay, well, you, you know that some things are easy to minister and some things aren't? <laughs> how, would, how would the musicians like to come up here and minister on how they sing and how they do things? How about we just pass the mic to the congregation and say, I was a really good participator in the church today and, and I, I'm, I'm a good member.
It's, it's, it's not so easy when you're up here. It's, it would also be difficult if you're down there. <laughs> you know what? Who is the brother that came up and said, are you all behind me? And they'd say, no, we're in front of you. <laughs> so, oh, do you love the Lord? Amen. Oh, <coughs> Brother John, or uh, I was, I'm sorry. Brother John is there. Brother Michael's there. You can help out your dad in case I tell him a song that he doesn't know, okay? <laughs> Sounds good. Greater than all. <laughs> Greater than all my, my sins is the blood that still cleanses me. It's the grace that still saves. It's the grace that still says 